Hello and welcome to Style and Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Welcome to another episode of Style and Substance. Hello, so lovely to be here. So nice to be here. I feel like we're on a real roll this January. I don't know about January blues, but I feel super fired up. Yeah, no, I'm the same. And actually, we just can't record these fast enough, can we? Because the energy's really there for it, which is great. So I'm excited about it. So exciting. So today we wanted to talk about business on your terms, which is something that is absolutely at the heart of the empowered entrepreneur and has been really the way that I've certainly steered this business ever since it started and and probably well not probably was absolutely not at the heart of how I set up my first business yes yes there's been a definite shift which shows that great things are possible when you decide to pull by the horns and and reflect and learn on your experience and redefine things. And I think it's a great opportunity for anybody at any time, wherever you are in your business, whether you're just starting out, obviously ideal to get those foundations in place, or whether you're running a big ship and you've got to turn the tank around and start to redefine things. I think at any stage, it's good to step back and go, is this the business that I want? Is it working for me? Is it generating the success that I need? And what are my terms? And then just getting really clear about defining that and putting them into action. So yeah, it's really exciting. Really exciting. So obviously, you would ideally set up a new business on your terms. And that just means that everything moving forwards works in your favour, doesn't it? So if like me, you only want to work in the school term times, setting that expectation from the start is significantly easier than six years down the line deciding that that's what you're going to do. But it's still really possible either way, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And also, I think you don't, particularly if you're starting out in a new business, there's a lot of unknowns. Mm. It's good to reflect as you get started, because you don't necessarily, you might be clear about some of the fundamentals, but you don't necessarily know what all your terms are until you know stuck into the business of doing business. You know, particularly when you're thinking about things like dynamics with clients and the boundaries that you need to put down, you won't necessarily know what some of those are until you've been getting into the nuts and bolts of the business. So I think all is not lost if you don't start out at the outset. Great to get fundamentals in, but this will be something that you need to keep refining and checking in with yourself because it's very easy to get on a trajectory. And even when you've done the good work up front, to end up sort of coasting along or or tolerating and putting up with stuff that actually when you stop and reflect and reassert yourself and take back more agency, you realise that you probably wouldn't be putting up with or you want to elevate or refine or make more of certain opportunities so I think it's something that 
definitely do at the outset. And three, six months, a year, 18 months, when you get your seven year itch, whatever it is, it's, it's definitely something to keep doing on an ongoing basis without reinventing the wheel every time. That's such a good point. I wonder if I've been able to create a business in the brand stylist that works on my terms because I'm so much clearer about what those are. Definitely, definitely. All that experience with the agency, and you know, and there was a lot that really worked for you and a lot of those philosophies that you pulled through, but it, I think it did give you really crystal clear clarity on what your priorities actually are and boldness. And because you sort of suffered some of the hardship of not being able to hold those boundaries and you managed a big team and all of that stuff so when you're managing Mm. there's different dynamics in place you'd suffered some of the hardship so you had that visceral experience of I don't want to go back to that you can be bolder you can be clearer and your business experience taught you that when you do put down a boundary or when you do push back things don't fall apart people actually do respond to that positive energy yeah yeah I think it was incredibly informative and and galvanizing to have all of that experience to bring it into the new the new iteration yeah and I I, such a long time ago now isn't it but (laughs) I'm just thinking back to when I was in employment Mm. and I hear lots of people that want to start businesses saying I want to be my own, own boss and I think we kind of think that once we're our own boss we're the absolute champions of our destiny. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, though? I think we kind of think that we we don't we almost don't need to think about this stuff because we're our own boss, so we're going to have complete control. And as you and I both know, particularly in the work that you do and all the untangling that you do with your clients, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you're not, unless you are quite intentional about what your terms are going to be, Yeah. You, you you can very easily set up a business that is actually more of a noose than if you had a job that you could close the laptop on at six o'clock on a Friday night. Definitely. So I wonder if, before we get too far into this, you can just talk a little bit about what does business on, not your terms, because I want to get onto that later, but sort of what kinds of areas should we generally be thinking about so what kind of things what kind of boundaries or what kind of yeah areas I guess would be considering yeah if I were to think about first things first I'd be thinking about the principles for me of Mm. what defines business on your terms and and some of those foundations so when you're creating a business on your terms you want to be putting your vitality first because we yeah. know that that underpins particularly as an entrepreneur a successful business and it's very easy as we said we, we don't necessarily realize all the hangovers that we bring with us and all the all the stuff that our capitalist and normative society tells us of client is king bend over backwards for everybody all of those things which are all good to provide high levels of service but those can be at a cost of vitalities. So when you're running business on your terms, your own vitality as an entrepreneur has to really be quite high on the priority list. And that actually mm. does define more than you think it does in the every mm. running of things. There's also the context of the bigger picture of success that you're going for. Yeah. You know, we look at things very much holistically and what does this business have to do for you? What is the bigger picture of the life you want to live? Because 
how you spend your time is how you spend your life. And if you are working for yourself, it's unlikely you're going to be very rigidly defined to a nine to five or a 10 to four, mm. unless you create those very firm boundaries. So the bleed in factor for the rest of your life is potentially very high. And you've got to look at what you want that whole picture to look like and what you want the business to do for you financially and otherwise. And I think we have the opportunity when we're running our own business to bring so much more of ourselves into that work. So it can become potentially incredibly fulfilling when we have a bigger picture in there. I think when you're running business on your terms, you have to take into account your particular neurotype. And this is something that we can forget. You know, if you are someone who is neurodivergent, for example, with ADHD, and you're working in a classic employment scenario for somebody else in a high-paced corporate job, or even, you know, in any setting, it's very clear that the world is not geared up to support the way that your brain works. You know, okay. our society is not geared up for ADHD brains. It's not ADHD friendly in lots of ways. Likewise, it's not necessarily Asperger's friendly or it's not necessarily, you know, any of these other neurotypes on this sort of spectrum of diversity. We get the opportunity to go, how does my brain work? How do I think? How do I function? How do my cycles of energy and productivity and my my own rhythms go? And that mm. can sit at the heart as well. And if you're a female entrepreneur, we've got other rhythms and cycles to consider, which if you're in a corporate job, just don't just don't even get put on the table. You know, you don't yeah. have the opportunity to take those into account. So working to your energy levels, your life stage, your particular aspirations is really important. If you're 20 something starting out with a load of Kickstarter energy, it might be very different from the, the model of a business that would look like in your 50s. Perimenopausal, um, or if you're looking at transitioning into how you want to move out of your business towards that sort of stage of your life and what legacy you're leaving. So we're looking at that in the context of all of those life stages as well. Mm. Do business on your terms, you get to choose to work to your particular skill set and your particular strengths. Yeah. And to bring in the support systems and the other things within your business that you need to fill in those gaps so that you don't end up being jack of all trades, so that you can stay in your inspiration, so that you can stay in your core strengths, you can stay in your flow much more because you can say, actually, no, that's not my strength. And if the mm. is going to succeed, I don't have to be all things to all people. So I think we have the potential for a lot more choice. And, yeah. and then if I was to drill down into those specific areas, we'd be looking generally at things like time. You know, time predominantly is the first thing I'd look at. How much time do you have? Do you want to invest in this business? And what do you want to spend your time doing? That's so important, isn't it? And, and I'm not sure that we think about that enough. I thought about that really hard when I started The Brand Stylist. Yeah. I don't think about it at all when I when I launched my franchise. I just needed a job, yeah. didn't want to have to work for anybody else and needed to put food on the table and kind of there was no consideration about what would I like my job that I'm buying for myself to look like. It was just like okay, let's do it. Yeah. And also, because it's a franchise, you have so many other models. I mean, franchise is like almost the polar opposite, exactly. really, of business on your terms, because you're buying someone else's formula 
for a business. Yeah, and it's very cookie cutter. And this is the opposite yeah. of that. Yeah. Not to say that franchises aren't very successful. I think there's particular people that they're absolutely right for, particularly if you kind of want a bit of a bit of autonomy, but you're not completely entrepreneurial or you're not someone that wants to go off and create. I don't just mean creatively create, but you know, if you're not someone that enjoys creating processes or creating things, yeah. actually, there's a re- there's a real there's a real need and a real gap, I think, for franchises. Yes, definitely. And I still think if you're taking on a franchise, you can flex yourself just by asking the question, what does this franchise look like for me? Uh, yeah. With, you don't have to take on all of the assumptions of everybody else running that franchise. You've got the benefits of, like you say, the systems, the processes, the tried and tested way of doing most things. You've got your marketing collateral, probably. You've got your pitch and your positioning. You've got your great product or service. You know, all of those things are in place. So someone else has done that market testing and they know it works. But how you then choose to roll that out, how you choose to add your flair to it, how you choose to keep those systems and processes rolling is very much over to you and I well I don't think it is so I've done a lot of so when I worked for the print company before I set up on my own Mm. I was quite core to developing that business as a franchise model and rolling it out and going to the franchise shows and selling it and then training and developing now obviously it's only one franchise Mm. so I haven't got experience across them all But the whole point of a franchise is that you deliver consistency. So the franchisor's interests are in you following their systems and processes to the letter. Yes. So actually, I think the point that you've raised that is really important, that in all my years of selling and training franchises, I never saw considered is what is this business going to look like for me on a daily basis what's this job gonna look like because actually when you're walking around the franchise exhibition and you're looking at like the oil and the vinegar that was one of the big you know the sexy stands and you've got all these fabulous stands with their fabulous things people are looking at the profit and loss they're looking at what do I put in what am I likely to get out yes um how is this business run is it kind of owner managed is it something that's is much more hands-off yeah um, but they, I never saw anybody and I never heard anybody say, what will I be doing mm. on a daily basis? What am I going to be doing on a weekly, monthly yeah. basis? It just, it was always presented as a business opportunity. And I don't think that was unique to what we were selling. Yeah, I agree. And and you're right, in order to maintain the success of a franchise, there needs to be a level of consistency and there will be inevitably I imagine with any of the ones that I've had experience with a level of top-down checking to make sure that that is adhered to yeah that was my job yeah yeah. I really really hated that part of my job but literally would go in and check that people have followed the system you know I'd be training them and then I'd be checking and there was no room for maneuver yeah and for some people that is perfect yeah it is so I think if you're considering that type of business model asking that question of what does this look like on a daily basis? And I think there's, um, you know, if you're buying a business as a business opportunity, the one area I would consider with franchising is 
do you want to be in that business because you want to be in the nuts and bolts of it and the daily mm. administration and the rollout of that? Or are you the owner funder mm. manage a team? So there's a level of flexibility within that model potentially. I yeah. think a lot of people go into franchise, certainly the people I know, because they fall in love with the products, they yeah. they love the ethos and actually they they want to have that security and quite often they come with a support team around them, which is really yeah. helpful. And there's nothing to say within a franchise that if you are an innovator, that you can't use that support network and that opportunity to to feedback and to shape and to and to do that. And also to recognise that if you reduce the amount of time or effort you put into that franchise, it's not going to yield the results that it could do if it was run full pelt at that level. But you're right, there's definitely more limited flexibility. But I still think the opportunity to clue yourself up before you go into it and yeah, totally. Explore how you, how in the daily rolling out of those systems and processes, you approach it so that it works more for you. Yeah. So, what else would you be thinking? At? We went on a big franchise investigation yeah, there. <laughs> Are you someone who likes the autonomy of working on your own and the control of working on your own? Are you someone that needs to sit at the top of the leadership tree? Are you someone who's more collaborative? Do you want to have a team? Do you want to start solo? Do you want to grow as a team? You know, starting to think about the dynamics of people in your business, but also your working style and whether working on your own suits you. So even if you are a solopreneur and you don't employ a team and maybe you occasionally use freelancers, that doesn't mean you have to work in isolation. And that sort of links into the next piece, which I think is fundamental, which is around the environment in which you work. Yes. There's a lot of assumptions around where we should be working. A lot of them have loosened now because virtual working is much Yeah, it's completely changed, hasn't it, in the last few years? You know, it used to be yeah. you didn't have bricks and mortar in an office space, you weren't running a proper business, mm. you were just a yeah. kitchen table. Well, that, that hang-up has gone. Um, yeah. Equally, it could almost swing the other way and go, well, I need to be reducing all my costs and working at home at my office desk, you know, at my home office desk and never see another soul. We've got the flexibility of co-working spaces. We've got the flexibility of hotels and other yeah other spaces to work but the environment in which you choose to work and how you take control of that environment will have a massive impact Mm. Um, so for me I think they're the core pillars I know that more will probably occur to me um Mm. there's there's a whole area and I know we're going to do an entire podcast on this at some point but there's and it kind of links in with the people piece but there's a whole area around where do you need to set the boundaries and with who? Yeah. Um, both internally in your own net, you know, your own network and your own family system. If, if you're within a family unit, there's, mm. there needs to be some understanding of how those boundaries and how that transition between work and home and that kind of thing works mm. um, with your clients, the boundaries with your suppliers, the boundaries that you hold for yourself. That's a whole piece. And that comes across at every level of the business. Because if you're going to do it on your own terms, you have to get really good at defining and holding clear boundaries and managing those in a way that really works for the client and for you. Yeah. And what you just made me think there is that this whole thing about business on your terms is 
setting your business up in a way that is a real joy and inspiration to run. Mm. It feels like you want it to, brings out the best in you and removes as many of those awkward conversations or uncomfortable moments or things that drag you down as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some really specific things you can do at every stage of your process to do that. And effectively, it's Mm. know what your boundaries are, articulate them and make sure you're articulating them at the right place in the right stage. And that starts with very basically your brand. Your brand is a boundary. Brand is a clearly articulated space using the visuals using the copy using the photography using all of that stuff to say this is where I sit this is who I serve this is what I'm about that's a very clear Mm. boundary that sets business on your terms and if you use your brand really cleverly you can remove a lot of the of the difficulty you know I'm thinking about clients I've worked with who have brilliant businesses they're really skilled at what they do they haven't been bold enough to niche down enough to say yeah these are the people I really want to serve and this is where my particular joy is so although they're delivering a brilliant quality service they're they're apparently available to everybody and there will inevitably be people in that mix that don't don't suit their working style that don't appreciate what they do that don't value them enough yeah and they become very difficult and challenging but also that makes you feel bad and useless at what you do and yeah. takes away from your magic. That's a whole, I mean, we <laughs> I could go on about that for hours, yeah. but focusing back in on business on your terms then, is there anything else you want to add at this point? Or maybe we should just explore how we both mm. run our businesses on our terms and that'll probably throw out yeah. Yeah, some more points. Yeah, so there was a big shift for you, wasn't there, when you moved out of the agency and you redefined the brand stylist? What were the fundamentals that you knew you had to honour in the situation? Well, I think two things. So one is my business is is really foundational to our family income. Mm. Um, I'm the breadwinner. It needed from the get-go to bring in quite a substantial income. Mm. So that's the first. I think it's very easy to listen to us talking now about business on your terms mm-hmm. and think, well, it's all very easy for her working 75% of the year and, <laughs> you know, wafting around doing these lovely mood boards and, and you know, retreats in nice hotels in Mallorca. Um, but I've got to put food on the table. And I think it's maybe just worth remembering that that is absolutely at the heart of my business as well. So this is, there's nothing wrong at all with running a much smaller business but mine has to be substantial so that was the first thing you know this was not something that I was doing purely for my own personal development or satisfaction mm-hmm. just had to bring in the money mm. and alongside that equally important was that I needed a business that gave me the headspace and the time to be the mum that I wanted to be. Yeah. And and that those two things, they are always, they're kind of always front of mind, aren't they? I mean, really, the the financial side of things just looks after itself, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you say that, but you do put an incredible amount of work in that. I mean, it looks after itself now, but 
that it doesn't just happen by accident. You know, you you work hard at that. I do work hard. I do work really hard. And we were talking yesterday, weren't we? I was saying I've had a really frustrating day because uh, <laughs> by the time I've walked the dog and done my Pilates. <laughs> then i had to go to the dentist i didn't get anything done i was really annoyed i do get through an incredible amount of work mm. um and i guess that goes back to my boundary right from the start so i'd set up my business uh when ellie was 15 months old my first business and i'd always wanted to be at home and and Ellie is of a generation where most of the women that I knew that had babies at the same time as Ellie weren't working and I was 25 when I had Ellie and you know that was just never possible so I I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mum with Ellie and I I could never be one Um, but what I could do and I really had a hard boundary and I have a hard boundary on this Mm. is I do not work school holidays and up until about well to be honest up until lockdown I had a very hard boundary that I would not work if the kids were home Mm. Mm. and obviously that's gone to pot (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I and, and also they're older so even when I say to myself, right, I am going to finish work at three o'clock mm. today and I make myself available. <laughs> They're all off doing their own thing. Yeah, playing with the Sylvanians. She doesn't really want to hang out with me. <laughs> but I think that's just them getting older, you know. But, but that thing of being present for the kids and that comes in lots of guises. You know, I work at home. I'm always available mm almost always available to pick them up to drop them off all that stuff all that running around but but also I think being mentally present so not putting myself under such immense pressure to reach a certain turnover that my head is somewhere else yes and I I have a tendency to do that I know when I was doing color psychology for brand designers I I may have been in the house but I was not in the room yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that headspace is is vitally important because if you're going to make transitions between different spaces, it's all very well putting a boundary down. But like you say, if you're not then present in the room, it's not really a boundary that's serving you. So that's a that's a really big concern. And it's hard for me. It's hard because I work in the house. Yeah, I don't even have a commute across the garden to my garden office. I don't have ten minutes where I leave the office and I commute home. You know, it's literally. Yeah, it's that I find that very, very difficult. But those two things, they are always and when I have a difficult decision to make or someone's got in my ear, someone's Instagram advert has got in my ear, Mm. always coming back to that thing of what am I doing this for is really important. And I guess the other on that note, the other thing is that I'm lucky in that well, I'm lucky and it's been by design that I, I only do work that really feeds my inspiration and my creativity and that I know I'm really good at. Yes, yeah. And again, that's what this come Every time I've got a decision to make, I come back to that. And actually, we didn't touch on this before, but I think being very clear about what your sense of purpose is, what am I doing this for? And yes, I'm doing it for the kids and the opportunities that that creates for us as a family. Yeah. But I'm also doing it because 
you know, I could have gone and been a lawyer. I think I would have been a terrible lawyer, but I could have made myself do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had the grades. I went to the right school. I, I did the right degree. I could have done something, but I chose a career that feeds my inspiration. Yes. And actually, that's also fundamental to something else, because the thing that gives us the ability to be able to set more flexible boundaries or clearer boundaries for ourselves is reliant on a certain amount of success in the business. And that success is amplified by honing in on what you're really good at and doing it excellently. Because it's otherwise, you don't get the traction in your business, you don't get the referrals, you don't get the consistency, you don't get the joy, the energy, the motivation. So it's all very well and may sound all very nice and fluffy to say, oh, do what you love and follow your passion and your inspiration. And that can sound a bit arty farty, but for me, it makes really good commercial sense because when you're doing that, the wheels turn at a rate that creates its own momentum that, that makes the business ultimately more successful, which then gives you the ability to go, oh, actually, I'm going to put a hard stop here or I'm going to take days off or what have you. So, so it's fundamental to the ability to do that, I think, to make sure that you are, you're niching into what you are really, really good at. Yeah. And you're not compromising on that. And you take the space to hone that and refine that and develop that. If I think about the trajectory of my business, I started at a very different time because I started out when I didn't have kids and I wasn't married. Yes. And that was, you know, I I left corporate with a very clear, I don't want corporate and not a very clear what is everything then going to look like. Yeah. My original big picture was follow follow my passion, follow what I'm interested in, follow what I want to learn about, follow what people think I'm good at. That first phase of the business, the purpose was to learn, to discover, to hone, to experiment, to explore. And the criteria for me was that, you know, I love variety. I wanted a big scope. I had the flexibility to travel. I didn't have to, you know, I could run several businesses as well. I didn't have to only be known one thing everything was sort of organically linked but I Mm. had the opportunity to you know I worked in change management for corporates and team development and that was one very specific area where I got known for facilitation I also worked in holistic development because I ran a a holistic therapy practice and got to do retreats and you know spiritual work and all of those pieces and I could I could do both of those things because I had the time I had the bandwidth there was a little bit of crossover, but I got to wear two different hats and that suits my personality because I didn't want to be, I knew I didn't want to do the same thing every day, all day, even though I loved those things. It was the variety that worked for me. And it also gave me flexibility on the commercials because one business didn't have to pay my mortgage. You know, I, yeah. I could get that from several places. So, you know, when I started out, there was there was a lot more flexibility and then I've had to and that was that was my terms you know so I gave myself my couple years in I gave myself a year of yes where I said okay this is going to be an experiment I will say yes to every opportunity I'm given okay unless it's you know illegal morally compromising (laughs) life-threatening I would do most things yeah Yeah. a big network and I was operating in all these different spheres and it took me to incredible places took me way out of my comfort zone it meant mm. I got to work in hostile environment training. It meant that I got mm. to stand up and give keynotes in front of 3,000 people with 20 minutes notice. You know, there were all of those things 
that it allowed me to go, oh, I love that. I didn't know that I was good at that. Oh, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I went and did, did outdoor education and I became a climbing instructor. And, you know, there was such diversity in all of that because I had no rules other than, you know, don't kill yourself, don't harm anybody else and don't do anything, you know, you're going to get arrested for. Yeah. So, so that was a huge free reign and scope. And then over the years, the boundaries have had to become tighter and tighter. And then mm. when the children came along, some of those boundaries were enforced on me. Some of them were my choice in that we chose to home educate. It also yeah. had to pay the bills. So the business had to fit around that. So the hours had to yeah. change. Um, yeah. Because I had to be with the children 24-7 and they're very demanding, and particularly when you're home educating. Well, I, am I right? I think you didn't work for a couple of years also. Is that right? I paused between when CJ... So I think when CJ was three maybe no maybe yeah. it was two or three I did my last retreat before before I had Ellie yeah um, and then until Ellie was three I think so I had two or three years yeah. where I was doing the odd bit of consultancy and coaching but it, I I was still earning money but I wouldn't have yeah. considered myself to be running a business then because I wasn't in that business head no. I was still no. paying a lot of the bills uh, yeah. and making that work but it was very piecemeal and it wasn't very strategic and it was literally filling and I remember the children were all consuming at that point yeah, yeah it was huge yeah. it was everything you know we home educated my daughter has a really high or had a very very high attachment need um we chose to do high attachment parenting style it was um you know we moved out of London and into the country it was all it was very consuming uh, yeah so, so yeah, that was that was a sort of transition phase, and then when I came back and came out with the rebranding of the Empowered Entrepreneur, um, yeah. and wrote the book because I, you know, previous company I closed the limited company down. It took a different shape again. You know, I couldn't I couldn't mm-hmm. travel because I had to be there for the children. So I and I couldn't yeah. do a lot of corporate gigs that meant that I did that time. It meant that what I was doing from a coaching perspective because the corporate stuff pays really well, um, mm. I had to really ramp ramp that up. Um, mm. But I also had the scope, you know, when Elian was much younger, you know, I wrote the book and that gave me mm. that creative time to do that. And then that was a really good springboard. And luckily, because I had been in business for a long time and nurtured that network, it didn't, you know, the referrals came in and stuff picked up yeah. very, very quickly. But yeah, the boundaries had to change. So there were boundaries around timing. And again, as as we've mentioned before, it's changed again since last September because yeah. before I had, you know, for a year before that, I had between nine and three, three days a week to myself because the kids were in Dragonfly, which I, mm. you know, I hadn't had that for years. It was amazing. My business had been in evenings or the odd yeah. slots when Mike was available for the kids. And and now they're at mainstream school. I've got five days a week of free childcare. I mean, who knew? This is like a revelation. And then when I think about very recently, more specifically, in particular with time, when the kids went to school, Ellie really struggled. You know, yeah. Elian really struggled in those first few weeks. He's a wild child. He's homemade. He's a boy of the woods. And he was really not loving this new, <laughs> you're going to have to what? I have to go five days a week. 
<laughs> I, I can't take my sticks in. Uh, I have to wear the uniform. What? I have to queue up in the lunch. Like, what? What are you doing to me? This is not what I can't see my mummy whenever I want to. What the hell is going on here? And so, understandably, he really struggled with that transition. And mm. as we know, you know, the schools they did their best, but they're not terribly. The system is not geared up for mums coming in and sitting with your child until they're comfortable. So I had to, for a period of time, and actually, I was very grateful to a friend and, and coach of mine who helped me really thrash this out and turn the key for me because the, I, I would get in a panic when I dropped him off because I, I didn't ever want to leave him in distress. And that was a that was a very clear thing for me. So I'm not leaving my child in distress. And I also had client commitments in the morning. Mm-hmm. And what my friend helped me to see was, well, th- if this is a hard boundary for you, what other boundary has to move? And I thought, oh yeah, this is so simple. If I know that I am going to give myself the freedom to be with Ellie until he's comfortable, to be able to take him out and take him for a hot chocolate and take him back in again or whatever that is between the half eight drop off and and I can relax into that knowing that if I'm relaxed and regulated, he's much more likely to be relaxed and regulated. I can mm. calm him down. He doesn't actually hate school, but he just hated the thought of it and the transition for yeah. me. And while I was in a hyper state of having to get back for work, it didn't help that dynamic. Mm. And so for a very short period of time, I didn't put clients in before 10.30 in the morning yeah, or 11. And the clients I did put in in those slots were the ones I knew would understand. And I pre-primed yeah. them to say, if it's an absolute show at school with Elian, then I might be a little bit late. And because I have a really good rapport with my clients, people were very understanding and actually I only had to miss the session once Um, Mm. and 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 the problem resolved itself because I could relax and more often than not I was back at my desk by 9.15 and it was fine but that boundary had to shift in order for and, and the only reason I knew that I needed to put that boundary down was because I'm very clear on what my priorities are you know my priorities are as you've said that connection with the children and my my role as mum is first above everything because when it comes to it at the end of <laughs> at the end of my days I'm not going to be going oh what a shame I I didn't earn three million in that year I'll be- <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not why really let yourself down but isn't that the point as well you know when when you're when you've got a job there's that constant tension of I need to be seen in the office or I need to, you know, I need to log on and I need to be at my desk. And I think one of the amazing things about running your own business is that you do get to decide and it will change. Yeah. And and it had to change for me when Jasper broke his ankle on the 5th of Mm. September, the day before they went back to school, because I, I spent an entire week out of the first three weeks sat in the hospital waiting for x-rays waiting for appointments waiting for operations all of that stuff and I think some of it is about just changing that boundary isn't it and having remembering what your priorities are Mm. and you know that's okay if yours aren't mum first Mm. we're not saying it has to be one or the other but I think it's trying to remove that tension that you were talking about that sense of conflict and this goes back to something bigger for me which is that I have 
to give myself space for compassion in my earnings mm. so that if Jasper does break his ankle and everything and I can't work for a week or or you know whatever happens that I'm not still trying to hit somebody else's idea yes. of what I should be turning over this month or yes. net profit this month we've all got overheads we've all got profit to make I get that and and that's part of running a business but I think sometimes we need to see things in a more holistic across the year perspective rather than for you it was about six weeks wasn't it I think at the start of term not even that long really we get the occasional blip but what's interesting is that makes me think about if those if those roles or those priorities were reversed because we're absolutely not saying if you're a parent or if you're a um you know you have people that you're responsible to what I don't want anyone to feel guilty about is if they if they choose the priority of their business because they know what they are able to fulfill and what they need to fulfill and what their particular family dynamic needs. I'm a particular advocate for me of parents being at home with their kids as much as they can, if they can, but that's a very privileged position and our society is not geared up to support that. Mm -hmm. If you are someone who, whose priority is to get to the office at a certain time and to be in that space, then it's about building that support around yourself so that the, like you say, the other stuff is taken care of so that you reduce that tension. Because there's nothing to say that one choice is better than another choice. No. And it's really personal, isn't it, I think? Very much so. And will change depending on what stage your life is at. And it Mm. also makes me think about different scenarios. This thing about having to be seen at your desk that you mentioned. You know, I'm thinking about clients and friends of mine who, who are entrepreneurial and who are working for themselves but might have a slightly different model like a contract model so if you're Mm. coming in as a contractor yeah there will be a certain amount of expectation within the culture of yeah well you're being paid a day rate aren't you rather than a project rate often essentially and I think this this is really key because the assumption can be that we're being paid a day rate and a day is a nine to five or an eight to six or whatever that happens to be but quite often, if, you, if you're working at a level, you know, most of the people I know who are contracting are working at quite senior level. If you're working at that level, we have to check that assumption because quite mm. often in the negotiating of that position or that contract or that space, what the business owners, founders, people who are paying that contract salary are actually interested in really is results. Yeah, a lot of negotiation around delivering those results. And if you know that you are highly productive working a four day week over working a five day week, your focus Mm. is better, your energy is better, your dedication is better, your ability to show up. If you know that you are better if you've gone to the gym in the morning and you come in at 1030 and you'll be able to hit the ground running and galvanize your team and get that going. There is no benefit to that business that you're contracted to of you just being at your desk at nine o'clock. Mm. And articulate that. If you can understand that for yourself, you know, those are just examples. It could be any other example. But if you understand that yourself and you can articulate that and you can elicit, what am I actually here to do? What's the output? Most people won't say it's nine to five because those, those and if they do, those business owners are relatively naive because what they yeah. want is results. So if you get the results by creating the best conditions for yourself, we can let go of some of the hangovers of expectation. And and thankfully, COVID has done us a few favours, not many, but a few in terms of 
relaxing those expectations of people needing to be in the office or people needing to be wedded to their desks and all of that kind of stuff. So there is a cultural relaxation that's happened around that. But I think we can take it further and we can be more empowered in it. And everybody sees the results then. Because if you're a contractor, you really can, you can have business on your terms if you're very deliberate about it. And then when you're inspired or when needs must or when you have a particular client meeting that can't be shifted and it happens to be on your Friday off, then you go in and you do that and you have that flexibility. But I think the point is, is you don't have to default to the ex, to the unarticulated expected without clarifying what that actually is. And I think that's the point generally, isn't it? Is that it, you're not just doing business on your terms in in terms of how sorry in terms of what you do and and what your goals are but also how you work at a really granular level mm-hmm. so for example I don't want to spend my day doing discovery calls you're very happy to do them you know so just simple things like I don't have my phone number on my website because I don't I don't want to engage and that that actually came from starting a business when I had two hours a day and Poppy was at home and I was working when she was sleeping and I couldn't physically take calls in the day so I set it up as email only and that's just the default now that's how I do business so I think it's there's so many levels of this and a lot of it is thinking about what's going to work for me and communicating that in the best and and we do this through FAQs all the time don't we yeah absolutely and that's that just brings what you've just said in terms of communication that's probably one of the other big picture pieces to look at you know yeah environment your brand your communication how do you want communication to run in your business in general because you're right there's there can be that default assumption that you have to have your phone number on a website and if you're there is nothing more frustrating when you're an end client and you have a product that you've bought and the web form doesn't work and you actually want to speak to a human being Mm. that's not necessarily true for all businesses and nor does it have to be the point is you need to be responsive and you need to be responsive in a way that works for you so Mm. if, if you're on whatsapp chats with your clients and it's a drain and you can never turn it off and you don't know you know, you don't know how to manage that. You don't have to do that. And likewise, you don't have to default to the sort of expected things like if you're running this kind of business, you have to have a Facebook group that goes with it. You don't have to do Exactly. It. It's all of that stuff, isn't it? It's just how do you want to do it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, before we get on to how how people can start implementing this stuff in their business, is there anything else in terms of examples or how we do things that we want to consider? I'm thinking about the day with the brand stylist when we created that. Yeah. There were lots of parameters you were bringing into that, which enabled you to work to give the best possible service to your client and to work within your strengths, capabilities, and also to get rid of a lot of the hassle that didn't necessarily add value. Yeah. Do you want to talk about maybe maybe how yeah yeah I mean that was something that people had been had they been asked I don't know whether Mm. they'd been specifically asking for it potentially but I'd certainly seen a need to do it for a while so I was working on 
projects with people quite often. And I think there came a point, maybe 2018, where we decided that I wasn't going to do much consulting anymore. I can't remember why. Mm -hmm. There was a reason, but there was a year where I didn't, I took all the consulting stuff off my website, but I still wanted to have client contact, but not over a longer term. I didn't have the bandwidth for some reason. Maybe it was the year Poppy went. I don't know. I think it was school. There was there was something that was happening with Poppy going to school or exactly yeah. or Jasper or something that meant that you didn't have the bandwidth for those long projects and we had to redefine the boundary. Yeah, and I still wanted contact with clients because I find that really inspiring and it informs a lot of the work that I do. But the thing that I kept coming back to and the thing that kept putting me off doing VIP day or an intensive day or whatever other hideous name people have for them aside from that cheesiness because ever since my franchise days I rail against anything that is set in stone um was this idea that to do a a day with a client you've got to ask them to fill out a questionnaire in advance you've got to do some prep work and then you've got to do the day and then you've got to follow up with a report and blah de blah de blah and because I only work every for six weeks and then I have between a week and six weeks off, I was just thinking, how is this going to physically work? Mm-hmm. I can't can't see how that's going to work. If I take someone on the week before the summer holidays, I've suddenly then got this huge amount of pressure. Oh, and then you have to be available for two weeks after to answer any questions. <laughs> and it, it all became really stressful. And so we just had a chat about, well, how do I work? I work best actually with this kind of thing in the moment I'm I'm quite a quick thinker I I can do something where I don't know what I'm walking into and and really create something very inspiring in the day yeah and so that's what we did and we the key thing was that we communicated you're getting a day of my time I'll turn up at this point I'm going to leave at this point and you're paying for the time in between those moments yeah yeah. And over time, we also refined the boundaries and the expectations for that. But it was also built, I remember, on very practical things like, well, I still want to be able to do the school run and walk the kids to school if I have to. I have to better have that time. I don't want people to come to my home because I want to give them a really delightful, immersive, beautiful experience. So th- those parameters define very clear boundaries as, well, it starts at 10, it finishes at or whatever the hours were it needs to be a lovely place and it needs to be close to me so Beaverbrook was an obvious choice yeah yeah those that that clarity around what it needed to do for you then made those decisions quite simple um yeah and then we looked I think as well at how many days a year you had available to do that um Mm. because the other thing about these things is you know how do you price it how do you make it both accessible and beneficial to the business so those enable you to price it really well and Mm. then I remember after a period of time um, of testing it out and doing you know amazing days with people you also realize that it would be even more beneficial for them if you focus them even more tightly to just bring a maximum of three things yeah you know rather than just coming and doing this whole smorgasbord and and that again was smorgasbord <laughs> of delight you know you could literally... yeah no you're right that was about thinking about I remember I had a day where someone had four pages of questions yeah. and we we just went through those questions and and although I answered them it I just sort of thought actually 
there are more inspiring game-changing ways to spend a day so let's put that boundary down so you that goes back to that point you had right at the beginning of sometimes you won't know what the boundaries are until you're in it and you're living it and I think this is why it's really important that you revisit this on an ongoing basis so let's have a think about how we start to do this you know this is something that you will often do with a client on an ongoing basis because as things come up that clog up the way they run their business you'll quite often help people put boundaries down or streamline things or just change the way they do things to do business on their terms so what if I was starting a business from scratch Mm. in some ways that's easier but as we've explored you don't have all the knowledge at your fingertips what would I be thinking about if I was starting a business from scratch and I wanted to set up on my terms Mm. Well, as we've said, the big picture of what does success look like for me? What's my yeah. in this? What does this business need to achieve? How much time do I, you know, it's lots of answering lots of questions. How much time mm. do I have? What do I want to spend my time doing on a daily basis in the granular? Yeah. Um, where do I want to do that and with who? Yeah. Those parameters need to be very clear. And if you can answer those questions with an understanding of, uh, your neurotype, how much attention and focus you have, what your productivity and your work rate is, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you, at what stage in your life cycle you're at, at what stage in your menstrual cycle you're at, <laughs> who likes to work seasonally, mm. who your clients are and what the nature of your business is. And does that have any predefined boundaries? If you're a wedding planner, you're going to have wedding seasons, you know, if yeah. you're a daily. Yeah, you can't say I'm going to take, well, well you can, yeah. but it's harder to say I'm going to take August off as yeah. a wedding well, You can say that and recognise that it will have an impact on your bottom line. If you're, yeah. if you're a dahlia grower, <laughs> be very distinct seasons, but the chances are is you're, you're going to be in tune with that and that's, you know, you're going into that. That's yeah. also, um, you know, an opportunity to, if there are predefined areas to your business to be able to think outside the box creatively about, well, at the other times of the year, what else supports that? You know, what looks that mm. that, that might be going slightly yeah. off the um, So I think it really is just getting clear about the answers to all of those questions yeah. and, and making it okay with yourself to set those boundaries. And that actually is a little bit more difficult than we think. Mm. Because we carry with us a lot of hang-ups you know whether whether you've been in corporate or not you know you'll have those of those of those hangers and we don't need to labor on what they are but there's a lot of societal hang-ups it's very difficult for a lot of people to ask for what they need um, mm. and to be able to state that and actually that's a lot of the work that I do with quite a few of my clients is people fall into and and without sounding too stereotypical, but there is a certain type of woman often that will fall into people-pleasing. Mm. a big challenge for running business on your terms because if you are naturally geared that way, then it will be harder for you to assert yourself. So doing that work around your worth, your value, and one of the ways through that, I think, particularly if you are that person who wants to be there to serve others is there will be a benefit to your clients 
to your business and to your wider circle of you working in the best way for you possible. It's not a self Yeah, exactly. That's a really important frame for me. It's actually yeah. incredibly, whilst it's incredibly empowering and emancipating for you, it's also hugely beneficial to the people that you serve because they will be getting the best. So yeah. if you want to flip it, you know, if that paradigm shift gets under the skin there, it's you're actually compromising on too much if you're too much of a pushover. And then it's getting clear about, okay, what are the different devices and ways in which I can communicate these boundaries and hold these boundaries? And I know we're going to do a whole series on them, but just, you know, one of the things we both come down to that we use time and time again is the wonderful media kit. Yeah. Or the expectations document or the proposal document or what have you. It's a really good place to lay out your terms, your conditions in a beautiful way, your expectations and your promises. And a lot of people don't do that and then find that they have to sort of manage that in awkward emails or awkward conversations as the relationship yeah. develops. And, oh, my God, they started to WhatsApp me and I didn't tell them they couldn't do that. And, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff becomes tricky. So media kits are great. So you're, you're, you're working out what's important, what you need to say, and then what's the most delightful, beautiful, simple, easy to implement way that you can communicate that. And, and how do you consistently do that to make sure that you're on track and the fundamental basis for that is are you happy in your business are you thriving and is your business ticking those boxes that you have predefined as the things that make it successful because that's your benchmark if it's not if you're losing your mojo if you're beginning to fall out of love with your clients or your work then redefining your business on your terms is the place to go yeah and I think a lot of that there's so much in that that you've just said but I think a lot of that can boil down to and I think this this kind of covers new and existing businesses how do I want to feel when I'm running this business how do I want running this business to feel yes yeah absolutely that's fundamental because you know how we how we feel and how we spend our time is our experience of life and yeah. we can have you need to believe in the first instance that you have the agency and the power to claim that and to and to do that. And what I have found consistently time and time again for myself and for my own clients is once you've made the commitment to doing that, it's not hard because it just it always just open up. People are a lot more reasonable than you think they are. People really feel comfortable with clarity and clear process. Yeah. It provides a much better customer experience and and it's a, it's a win-win, it's a positive reinforcing feedback loop in the whole system of your business and your life. Yeah, amazing. Great. Well, there's a lot more to be said on all of this. I think we should definitely do a session on boundaries and do let us know if there's anything that this has sparked that makes you think, oh, we want to hear more about that. But I think we've probably waxed on for quite a while with this. This is the big one, this is a big one. <laughs> So uh, should we say farewell, everybody, lovely listeners? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think people are going to find that really helpful. Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. 
we're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe, as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.